0: I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to look at the final words from the book of Colossians. Final words. We were blessed, my family and I, (coughs) to have um, some visitors with us. I told you, I think, that they were here last week. My sister and her husband, and my brother, Russell, uh, and his wife were here as well. Uh, a few years back, Russell had a major stroke, and uh, we honestly we didn't think that he was going to make it. Uh, and um, those were some very tough days for his family, for all of us, and it was it was a hard time. And we we earnestly sought the Lord, and I tell you what, he, uh, he he brought him through that. And uh, of course, like I said, he was here last week. What I wanted to tell you is the encouraging words that he had for me as we walked out of the building and were walking toward our cars in the parking lot. My beloved brother, he looked at me and he paused and he said, Lundell, I forgot how good it was to hear you speak. Isn't that encouraging? And then he said, and then I woke up. The Lord, in bringing him back to us, disconnected the filter between his brain and his tongue. If it hits his brain, it's coming out of his mouth. So you have to be careful with him a little bit. All right. So you have your bulletin this morning. And uh, I'd ask you to look at that bulletin. On the back side of the bulletin, it's a little deceiving. I'm going to tell you straight up, it's a little deceiving. I have uh, an outline of sorts, uh, and you see the numbers 1, 2, and 3 that are there. Uh, the first thing I want to tell you is they don't have anything to do with the outline. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so what I'm, what I'm going to ask you to do this morning in those spaces one, two, and three, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to write down the names of three people, three people, write down the names of three people that have helped you grow spiritually. That have helped you in a time of crisis or have been a special encouragement, blessing or comfort to you. Three people, okay? These people that uh, that you will write down, they have added to your spiritual growth and development. They are not necessarily the top three people in your life, okay? But they are people that have, have today been impressed upon your mind as people that help you or have helped you to grow spiritually. They are the people that the Holy Spirit leads you to right now, okay? While you're doing that, I want to ask you to remember a little bit about the message last week. Do you remember uh, at the beginning how I talked to you about myself? I spent several minutes with you, right? Sharing with you some personal information so that you could get to know a little bit of who I am. Don't worry, I'm not going to repeat all of that stuff. Uh, it may have seemed to some that those moments were a bit self-serving, but that was not intended, if that's how you felt. Uh, I wanted you, indeed, to know uh, <laughs> that I am, I'm a, just a common old fella, okay? Just as common as corn. I also wanted, as I said, to make a connection with you, but the, the biggest reason that I wanted to tell you about my life is so that today, as we look at the passage of scripture, that we're going to made my life all that it is, that I am who I am, that I have been given all that I've been given, and that I have achieved all that I may have achieved because of Christ Jesus alone. He alone deserves and receives the glory and honor. You'd say the same thing, right? Sure you would. So in the beginning of the message last week, I told you also about this group of people that had this this significant impact on my life. They came alongside of me, they encouraged me, and they helped me. The obvious thing to know about that is that I need a lot of help. (laughs) <laughs> so those people included my mother my pastor as I was growing up the folks in my first church my wife and the folks that are here at Southern Hills you have helped me so the folks that I mentioned and so many more were placed in my life by God's divine will I believe that that they were there to teach me to encourage me and to even bring correction into my life. Some acted purposefully. They knew that that was their task and so they went about it with vigor and I appreciated those folks. Some had big roles in my life. My mother, for example, had a huge role. And then some, they knew that they had a big role and responsibility and others had this very small role and they didn't even know, some of them didn't even know that I was watching them. You've had people like that in your life, right? So the bottom line is this. I cannot begin to thank God for the precious brothers and sisters, pastors and teachers, men and women, that he has put in my path to help me to be a better man, to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better pastor. I can tell you that. I stand here today on their shoulders, and I owe each of them a debt of gratitude that I'll never be able to repay. Do you have people like that in your life? There are, there are three spaces there, and I want you to put those names, but that's not all. If you're able to, I want you and I challenge you do this. I challenge you for those folks that you write down to contact them in some way. Send them a note, send them an email, get them on the phone, whatever it is, just contact them and tell them thank you for the difference that they have made in your life. I did that with some of the folks that were on my list. And I, I told them. I, I contacted my old pastor. I contacted my youth pastor, believe it or not. He's, he is still among us. He's pastoring. He's 80 years old, and he's pastoring a small church, but he was my youth pastor when I was growing up. And, and I contacted him, and again, just to tell him that he made this huge difference in my life. Man, I tell you, just to be able to say thank you to those people, it was something that touched my heart. So that's a challenge today or this week or sometime to be able to look at some of those folks or call them or whatever again and just tell them thank you for the role that they've played in your spiritual development, right? Now, Paul had those people in his life. Look with me at Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 7. <clears throat> we're going to read down through verse 18. Uh, my disclaimer at the beginning is that these Greek and Hebrew names that I'm going to uh, try to pronounce, they won't be right. None of them, okay? If you want to know how, the, how they're pronounced, you talk to Jack, and he'll, he'll make sure that you know that. All right. Colossians chapter 4, begins verse 7, says, Tychicus... Our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. Underline that, yeah. He is coming with Onesimus. "...a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you, they will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice." These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers in the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, we read this last week, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him, that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea, underline that, and for those in Heropolis. Luke, the dearly beloved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea, underline that, and to Nympha and the church in her Home. Some of you may have in his home in your translation. Verse 16, after this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from the Laodiceans. Underline that. And tell Archippus, pay attention, pay attention to the ministry excuse me, to the ministry that you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. My goodness. So, when we first read this passage, doesn't it feel like that Paul is just sending greetings, saying, hi. <laughs> our, our Chippa says hi. And, and Mark says hi. And, and all the other folks say, say hi back. But <clears throat> I want you to know uh, that in this passage there is a wealth of insight here into the heart of the apostle. Did you realize that? Uh, Some have the impression that Paul was cold, harsh, mission-driven, and maybe even a little bit arrogant. But I want you to see at the very beginning that Paul is no lone ranger. He is not by himself that there are a, a lot of men ...that have gathered around him to help him even while he is in prison. We are not meant to do this life in isolation. We are not meant to walk our spiritual journey alone. We are meant to be together in this in fellowship and in community... So we see in Paul's work here, in his writings, the very last statements that he makes, that there are people around him. In passages like this, we also see the depth of love that he has for the people around him. My goodness, take for a moment sometime when you have time and just circle the compliments Circle circle the descriptions of these people and how beloved and how blessed and how loved and how faithful that these folks were to him. It shows us his need for fellowship and for community, right? The people listed in these verses, I believe, are heroes of the faith. You could take these names and you could add them to Hebrews eleven. And they would fit right in. Fit right in. They are people that have helped to make the ministry of the Apostle Paul that we enjoy today, they helped make it happen. And we thank God for each of them they worked as the apostles hands and feet doing this and doing that going here and going there you know <clears throat> going there and and creating here's the wonderful part of this in all of their assignments that timothy or that that mark or that aristarchus had all of these people that that he would send to these different ministry places these churches they were creating an invisible spiritual bond that brought the churches of Jesus Christ together. So that, that if you went to the church at Ephesus, there would be fellowship and community among those brothers and sisters, and you would welcome, be welcomed as a brother and sister. Someone comes to our church, they don't come as someone, if they're a believer in Jesus Christ, we already have a common bond with them. We already have an association with them. It is the bond of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is good for us to see. Because we get to look at and think about people that are like you and I. Doesn't Paul sometimes seem like a superman Christian? Able to leap tall synagogues in a single bound? Doesn't he look that way? He, he's, he's much like that. To me, I, I, you know, in all honesty, I relate to Peter a whole lot more, a whole lot more than I do to Paul. Peter's always enjoying the taste of his own foot in his mouth, right? <laughs> that would be me. That would be me. These folks remind us that we don't have to be a Paul to make a difference in the kingdom of God. You, where you sit today as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are important to the work and the ministry of the kingdom of God. Last week we talked about prayer. I want you to know that as a prayer person, as a person who lifts up the very man that stands in this pulpit, that as you lift him up, you are participating in the pulpit ministry of this church. And it should, not, it should not be diminished. It should not be thrown aside. It should not be treated casually. This is a great work to pray for whoever stands in this pulpit. These verses are exciting because we get to burrow deep into the word and search out the nuggets and insights as to who these people are. At least two of them these brave people risking their lives with Paul, we simply know nothing about them. There is Jesus named Justice. All we know is that his his name was Jesus and that he changed his name to Justice, partly, I would imagine, out of honor to Christ himself. I don't blame him for that, right? Right? It would be hard to complain about Jesus, wouldn't it? If he was a part of the church, that Jesus. He always burns what he brings for lunch, you know? That would be difficult. But he changes his name. Uh, but imagine for a moment if Justice was the guy who went out and purchased the ink and the parchment for Paul to write. That'd make him pretty important, wouldn't it? that makes make him pretty important even to us today so that we can sit and look at these words that were written thousands of years ago. And then there's nympha. Nympha, scholars even disagree as to whether nympha was a man or a woman. Some translate nympha in the masculine, some in the feminine. We don't find anything else in scripture about nympha, but we know this about nympha. That the name Nympha would be something like the name Pat that we use today. Context would have to tell us, right, whether Pat is a man or a woman, right? We know this about Nympha. That she exercised the spiritual gift of hospitality and a church met in her home. It does not say that she led the church or even where the church was located but she had a generous enough heart that she opened her home in her community so that the people of Christ could come together to sing, to pray, to preach, to worship together. That's beautiful, I think. Do we consider the very things that God has given to us The possessions around us, our vehicles, our houses, everything that we possess, do we consider it as something that we give over to God for the use of growing his church and of growing his kingdom? Unfortunately as well, it seems that there is a letter of Paul that appears to be missing here. In verse 16, look at that. It says, after this letter has been read at your gathering, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Some scholars believe, I don't know who they are, I'm not one of them, uh, but some scholars believe that this letter is probably the letter to the Ephesian church. I don't know about that. But in in all honesty, the word missing that I use is probably a poor choice of words. While the letter may not be available to us, and it would be great if it was, it would be just another thing to give us an insight into the church at at Laodicea, right? Right? It would be great to add it to the New Testament, but the truth is we don't have it, but we firmly believe that God put the Scriptures together as He desired. So He intended for that letter to be for the Laodiceans and maybe as a circling letter to to the other churches, but in His sovereignty and in His wisdom He decided that you and I didn't need it. It doesn't add or take away anything from the New Testament. Amen? So we won't struggle over that. And isn't it better for us to leave such things in the hands of God instead of the wisdom of man? But what glares at us? Are you ready? What glares at us in this as a bright beaming light is The realization that the church at Laodicea was blessed with the knowledge and communication with Paul the Apostle. Even a letter. He, like Colossae, had not met them, but he knew of them. And I would be certain that they were on his prayer list. Wouldn't you? Laodicea, then, we can surmise, had good leaders like Epaphras. And others that are mentioned here who led them, taught them, and served among them. But unfortunately, by the time that they receive the revelation that John pins some 30 years later, this is the condition of the church at Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus saith the Amen the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, this is their attitude about themselves. For you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and need of nothing. Wow. That you... He says, you don't even know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. Here's what's important about this. It should serve to us as a powerful warning. That a church, in a very short period of time, can be dismantled if we are not on our guard and the hardest part about this is that we know that the Laodiceans we know that they were still having church that they were paying all their bills that they were doing everything that a church would do but the problem with them was not in their organization it was not in their in the things that they did the problem was in their heart right In just a span of a few years, Christ who walks among his church, that's what he sees, and that's what he sends to them through the work of John. Oh my goodness. That is a sad commentary. When we look at Laodicea, sometimes we see these churches in isolation, separated unto themselves, and in a sense they were. But the reality was that God gave them good leaders. God gave them people and God gave them many good things. He gave them resources, more resources than we can probably even imagine in that day. And yet, and yet, with all of that that God gave to them, the devil so worked in their hearts that they had become just lukewarm. Do you hear the warning? I do. I do. I am sure as well that when Paul refers in verse 11 to the three Jews, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, and he says that these alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Those words are probably wrapped in sadness for Paul. They're probably wrapped in grief because... Of all of the Jews and all of the synagogues. And Acts chapter 28, the the final chapter talks about how that Paul under house arrest, he invites the Jews to come over and and to to argue, to to debate about Jesus. And Paul talks to them, the scripture says, about Jesus from the prophets and through the law. and, And he lays it all out for them. And they wind up just arguing with each other. Out of all of the people that Paul addressed, out of all those people that were his countrymen, three, that's a sad commentary. And I'm sure that for Paul, as we would see in the book of Romans, that that immensely broke his heart. He winds up saying, in Acts 28 and verse 28, therefore, puts an end to their arguing. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul says, I've heard enough. I'm done with you. That's where the work will be. Ministry is often a lonely and difficult work. The burdens of men and women, marriages and families, illnesses and heartbreak, they are set upon the shoulders of God's servants, not to mention those that are lost. The burden of seeing people come to Jesus. No wonder Paul prays and even says, pray for us. It's a good reminder to pray for those who lead us it's also a sweet reminder that aristarchus mark and justus that they were a comfort to paul they were a comfort to him you know that's a very personal word that means that when he was down they encouraged him that when he was hungry they helped to get him food That means that when he needed ink, again, they went and got it. That that means that whatever his needs were, not because he was Paul, uh, but because he was a brother, they helped him. You and I have the same responsibility with the people seated to our left, seated to our right, seated behind us, and seated in front of us to be a comfort to them. Aristarchus was Paul's fellow prisoner, He made the trip with Paul to Rome and when when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, it's as if Aristarchus says to the Romans, I want to be arrested too. Take me along The record only records from what we see in the New Testament that it was Paul who was arrested. There are others now, it seems, in this letter to the church of Colossae that that are arrested too. But, But it's not a whole gang of guys that's arrested in Jerusalem. It's Paul. And Paul then goes and ultimately winds up in Rome. But he comes with other men who are saying, I'm going with you regardless of the risk, regardless of the consequences Regardless of what needs to happen I'm with you brother I'm with you man to have that bravery and to have that willingness to sacrifice to have that desire to love the family of God that much like that that's what we need Aristarchus was from Thessalonica he was Paul's as I said traveling companion and we see that Uh, that he was a co-worker who (laughs) was with him at Ephesus. You remember this in Acts chapter 19? There was a a silversmith who got upset because the idols that he was creating weren't selling as well. And and so he got upset with Paul, and he got upset with the people that were with Paul, and, and incited a riot And Aristarchus and Gaius were taken in that riot and they were brought into a large gathering of people and it was uncertain whether they were going to live through it or not. Ultimately they do, thank God. Paul of course was absent, he was somewhere else, but they thought, well if he's not here we'll just take these guys. And they nearly killed them. We do not realize the risk and sacrifices of these men that shared in being identified with Paul such a controversial figure among the Jews and the Romans. Standing by Paul would be bad for your health, it'd be bad for your family, it'd be bad for your reputation, and it could certainly end your life. I'm thankful, and we've seen this in times past, I'm thankful to have men in our church and who lead our church who are men of conviction, willing to stand up and be heard despite the slings and arrows that might be hurled at them. Amen? Amen. Mark's story is a story of growth and reconciliation. We are introduced to Mark in Acts chapter 12 where severe persecution of the church has begun. James, the brother of John, has been executed by the sword under Herod's orders and Peter has been arrested. You remember this story? He's sleeping and he's sleeping between two soldiers, two guards. One on one side one on the other they are chained to him, literally chained to him. Luke records for us in the book of Acts that the church had gathered in Mary's home. Mary was Mark's mom and and, and had opened her home so that the church could assemble there, right? And, And so Mark, as a very young man, is seeing all of these things take place and guess what he sees? He sees that Peter is divinely, miraculously, gloriously, Walked out of that prison, escorted by the angel. And he comes to the door, right? You remember this story? He comes to the door, knocks on the knocks on the gate, and somebody comes to the gate, and they don't even believe it's him. He wants to go in. <laughs> and they go and run and tell somebody else. And they say, they say it's his ghost. He must be dead. But they go and they let Peter in and they rejoice together and God does this wonderful thing and Mark, as a young man, gets to witness these events. Peter mentions Mark in his final statements of 1 Peter and refers to him as his spiritual son, probably meaning that Mark was saved under his ministry. Mark goes on Paul's first missionary journey. Young man, he gets ready to go. This is great, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to be on this first missionary journey? But somehow, partway through the trip, Mark says, this is not for me. And he goes home. He goes home. Paul and Barnabas ultimately return home from that first mission trip. They prepare for a second, and guess what? Mark wants to take, or Barnabas wants to take Mark along. Paul says, no, no way, not at all. He is insistent, this man who departed in the middle of the mission trip, in the middle of the trip, he doesn't get to go. What would you say? What would you say about Mark? Would you let him go? He can't be trusted. He's weak. He doesn't have a spine. We need to leave him at home. Paul insists that Mark not go with them and and it creates such a rift between them. Paul and Barnabas, they split and they form two teams and they go in different directions. Barnabas takes Mark. Paul takes Silas and they go in these different directions wait a minute, uh, Lord, you just, in that, in that disagreement, you just doubled the size of the mission effort. Isn't God like that? That he'll take what we, uh, what we do and he'll take what we say and he'll take how we act and somehow, somehow, he'll work it all together for his glory. Somehow during this time, We aren't given the details, we aren't told when, we aren't told how. Somehow, Mark and Paul reconcile. Paul indeed has a change of heart. In Colossians, he writes that he sees Mark as a valuable member of the team. Not only that, but Paul mentions Mark in 2 Timothy chapter 4, which we believe, or some most believe, that that's his final letter, and that from that letter, from the end of that letter, somehow, after a bit of time, that Paul is executed. He asks Timothy, send Mark to me. He is useful to me in the ministry. Useful to me in the ministry. Isn't it good to see that the church and that the people of God can be a people of reconciliation? That we can, we can disagree with one another, but that in God's work and in God's hands, the useless can become the useful. That has Jesus written all over it. Mark, we know, writes the gospel that bears his name. How much did Mark grow? How much did he mature? How much did God deal with him in his heart? And and, and not only that, not only that, the apostle got dealt with as well. And God dealt with Paul in how he looked at and how he appreciated and what he would do with Paul. We all have moments of weakness and sin, but that does not mean that God is finished with us. There is hope, forgiveness, and restoration for all who have sinned, all who have strayed, and all who have quit. Praise God for his mercy Praise God for his sovereign plan if today you have someone, you have someone or I have someone that we are at odds with. I'm going to stand here flat-footed in my fat little frame and I'm going to say to you, humble yourself, repent if repentance is needed and be restored to fellowship with one another. You both will be better off for it. Never forget the promise, Romans 8:28 that we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God who are called according to his purpose. Amen. I believe that both Paul and Mark needed this time. And then there's Demas. His story is like Mark's, but it has a different ending, at least as far as we can tell. Demas is with Paul in Rome and is mentioned alongside Luke, sending these friendly greetings to the Colossian church. But somewhere, somehow along the way, something happens and Demas abandons Paul. He's like Mark. in that he says this is not for me I'm going home I'm going home he leaves Paul then in a desperate and difficult situation Paul's left in a lurch 2nd Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9 says make every effort talking to Timothy to come to me soon verse 10 because Demas has deserted me And Paul gives us the reason. Because he loved this present world and he has gone to Thessalonica. Verse 11 says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark, again, Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Brothers and sisters, Demas makes physical decision that is made after a spiritual decision. The spiritual decision that he makes is, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit Christ. I'm going to quit Paul. I'm going to quit this mission effort. Because he believed the lie that the world had something to offer him that was better than faithfulness that was better than loving Jesus, that was better than the love of Jesus in his life. Now, can you imagine Paul writing those words and the tears streaming down his cheeks as he writes about this brother that has made this physical decision to leave a job? There's nothing wrong with leaving as long as you leave with the right reasons and in the right way. Can you agree with that? Yeah. It seems that Demas was wrong in the why and in the how that he left. This spiritual decision marked a real turn in his life. So here's here's the lesson you can be in service to the kingdom and king and stumble and fall. You can. Just because you stand here or you sing here or you teach there or you lead here or you're faithful here Does not mean that the devil cannot assault you and that he can steal your joy, that he can take away, take away the drive and desire that you have to love and serve the Lord. He can lie to you and to me just like he lied to Demas. We need to guard our hearts against such lie that the world would want us to know that the world has something better to offer. You're missing out, friend. All of these good things that everyone else gets to enjoy, you have to leave them behind. You have to not partake. Jesus has to be bigger in the window than anything else in order to remain faithful to him. Poor Demas, it seems from what we see that he showed his true colors ultimately and there he was serving serving, serving with Paul the example of Demas should get our attention and remind us that sometimes people are just not who they say they are beware sometimes people are truly wolves in sheep's clothing We must beware. We must beware. Holy Spirit, help us. God, help us to be able to discern those people. The point is that when we see people fall around us, we know it hurts, right? Boy, it hurts here. Bad. Bad. But just because they fall away, we cannot fall with them. We can't. If people fall away or fall into sin, we cannot fall with them. We must keep our eyes upon Jesus. I'll tell you very quickly, when I started in the ministry, I told you at age 13, there were five of us. Are you with me? Five of us that had begun to preach. We were all uh, in high school, just young men that we believed that God had called us into the ministry, five of us our pastor, can you imagine he had the responsibility of dealing with these five preachers, and we began to preach youth revivals, we began to do all of these wonderful things that we couldn't believe that we were doing as young people the whole time my mother's in this ear saying buddy, you better be humble." Anybody got a mom like that? Right there, right there. I'll tell you today, I'll tell you today that of those five, two remain in ministry. Two. I'll tell you a story about a guy named Jim. I love Jim. He is my friend and he is like a brother to me. Jim was in the ministry, he was called to preach, and he was a pastor of a church, and he, uh, he was a person that, went, you know, went to seminary and he was learning, and he was getting his education, and somehow somewhere along the way. He lost his faith. And today, Jim, who was once a beloved friend. He's still my friend. I don't know if I can call him my brother. Because to him there is no God. To him it's only intelligence and intellect that matters most. Pray for Jim, would you? Pray for him. That somehow God in his grace, that he would talk to Jim and bring him back. Luke the physician is with Paul to the very end. 2 Timothy 4.11 again we read only Luke is with me. Luke is an admirable man in his writing the gospel it's very detail oriented and you can see his attention to detail in his writings. Luke is a physician He gives up his career as a physician so that he can be a missionary. It's better, best to say, that God assigns him the task of being a missionary. Or better, better, that God assigns him the task of being a missionary's doctor. Because this particular missionary is going to be flogged and he's going to be stoned and this missionary is going to be hurt and he's going to be beat and he's going to need a doctor, right? So God says, Luke, you're right. You're right. I have great admiration for him. I truly do. Archippus was uh, publicly called out in front of the entire church. Here comes the day where the letter of Paul arrives, and they're all gathered together. Boy, they're excited! We're going to hear from the Apostle Paul. This is going to be great. And they're reading through this letter, and they get down toward the end. And in verse 17, we read, "And tell Archippus." For a second, he may have went, "Yeah, I get mentioned. He's going to say something about me, right? Isn't that good that that he'd be included?" Wait a minute. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry that you have received of the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Archippus, buddy, you're sleeping on the job. (laughs) Sleeping on the job. We do not know what caused Paul to say this, but we can see that Archippus, even in this state of sleeping on the job, was gifted enough, valued enough to the ministry to bring him back in line. The correction or rebuke that others might bring into our lives to confront us with sin, if it be that, is meant to make us better, not to tear us down. Proverbs 27 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. When iron and iron meet one another, <laughs> there are sparks, friction, and a lot of noise. When we deal with each other sometimes, even in a situation like this, there may be sparks, there may be friction, and there may be noise, but we need God to be bigger, better, and louder. ...than all of that noise, right? Tashikos is a dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant to the Lord. He'll tell you all the news about me. The thing that I want you to know about him is that he was a person that Paul trusted. He carried the letter to Ephesians, and he carried the letter to Colossae. He held those letters in his hand, and he was the one who delivered them to the churches... But more than that, you notice how Paul says that he's going to tell you about me. He's going to tell you about my life and tell you about things that are happening with me. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, he says. So that you may know who how, how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. Paul trusted him not only with the letter... But as he stood with them, this is big, he trusted him with the interpretation of the words. Now he had to know Paul's heart. He had to know his mind, right? It's a big responsibility to take the letter and just read it. But then when somebody says, what did he mean by that? Tachikas was the guy who stood up and said, this is what he meant. And he spoke with familiarity, he spoke with with affirmation, he he spoke with clarity because he was just that close to the apostle. Now, one more person. Verse 9. Onesimus. I left this one to the end because it's the most beautiful of all. I love it. I love it. Verse 9 says, he, Tychicus, is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. He's a local boy. Onesimus' story is one of redemption and repentance. We are told his story, or not told his story here in Colossians, but if you will look with me to the book of Philemon, just go over a little bit. Come on, we can do it. Verse 9, Philemon, you there with me? Philemon, verse 9. There's only one chapter. We can do this. I appeal to you, Paul writes, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. The apostle says, get your love and forgiveness pants on. That's what you need, right? I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ, appeal to you for my son, who? Onesimus. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I fathered him while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you as a part of myself. Onesimus, the way you treat him will be the way that you treat me. The way you treat me would be the way that you treat him. Wait a minute for he rather was for perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently no longer wait a minute what's it say no longer a what no longer a slave but more than a slave as a dearly loved brother He is especially so to me, but even more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Onesimus was a runaway slave in violation of the law and a wanted man at risk of being executed if but not for an example alone, alone. Onesimus is a runaway slave. But watch what happens. He's running, he's running, he's running, and where does he run? Right straight into the gospel. He runs right straight into Paul while Paul is in prison. Did he get arrested? We don't know. But somehow, by God's design, by God's plan, this runaway slave meets up with Paul while Paul is imprisoned, and he comes to know Jesus. But it doesn't end there. By God's divine plan, this all happens. The Lord works in his heart and his mind and he teaches him that true repentance means what? You gotta go home and you gotta live up to what you've done. That's what repentance is. In a meeting here, some Weeks ago, Kyle made one of the most profound statements about repentance that I will never forget. That repentance doesn't care about the consequence. What was it like for Philemon... To see this slave coming. Did his fist draw up? Did he run and get the flogged? Did he run and get the whip? Did he run to execute the law upon this slave that had run away? Paul says, loosen your fist, brother. Because he comes to you no longer as a slave, but he comes to you as a brother in Jesus Christ. Wow. To me that's the most beautiful part of all of this. It brings me to this conclusion. My prayer today is that you are encouraged by these examples of faithful service. Look to them. Don't look here, look to them. That you will see how God loves you, values you, And plans to include you in his kingdom's work. I'll also say from my heart. Thank you again for one of the most precious gifts I've received. in being able to stand here both last week and this week. I want to close with these words. This is beautiful. It's out of Hebrews chapter 12. You ready? (laughs) Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says... Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, if we could see them in the balconies of glory, looking upon us as we strive and work and do the kingdom's things for the king of glory, they're cheering us on. This great cloud of witnesses includes Archippus and Tychicus and and Mark and and includes these guys that we just mentioned who gave themselves, left family, children perhaps, in order to serve Christ. Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes upon Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Brothers and sisters, it is all worth it. Stay in the fight. Stay in the run. Keep going. Keep going. Because God is going to reward us here with joy and peace that's beyond measure that we can't even understand. And he's going to reward us then with the face of Jesus. And we're going to stand in his presence. And we're going to sing perfectly. We're going to sing and glorify his name. How wonderful that will be, right? Amen. Father, I come before you. I thank you for this precious gift and opportunity here. I don't deserve it, I know that, but I'm truly grateful. I pray, Father, that the people that we have seen, heard, and talked about in this section of Scripture. I pray that they've been an encouragement to us, that they've been a blessing for us, and that as we looked at each one of them, they've given us strength, strength to stay in the battle. We love you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for my church. May you bless us in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen.